0: Hello, and welcome to The Essential Reads. My name is Isaac, and my goal is to bring you a bunch of classic audiobooks in an easy and accessible way. We're continuing with Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain, and we're on to chapter 8. So if you've not listened to the previous chapters, go back so things make more sense. Um, what a weird person you are, starting a book on chapter 8. How strange. Go back to chapter 1. <laughs> Let's start. The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn was written in a time when terrible slurs and actions were used to oppress the African-American people. These words and actions still cause harm today, and I, Isaac, would never wish to do so to any of these people. Any racial slurs that occur in this book shall be bleeped to avoid causing offence, and to guarantee that I can get paid for making these videos. I do, however, believe that you cannot censor the past, and that by trying to censor books, you are trying to pretend that the actions of our ancestors didn't happen. And for this reason... The book shall be remaining unchanged apart from these little bleeps. If you still find this triggering or offensive, then please check out another book. Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain Chapter 8 The sun was up so high when I waked that I judged it was after 8 o'clock. I laid there, in the grass and the cool shade, thinking about things and feeling rested and rather comfortable and satisfied. I could see the sun out at one or two holes, but mostly it was big trees all about and gloomy in there amongst them. There was freckled places on the ground where light sifted down through the leaves, and the freckled places swapped about a little, showing there was a little breeze up there. A couple of squirrels sat on a limb and jabbered at me, very friendly. I was powerful, lazy, and comfortable. I didn't want to get up and cook breakfast. Well, I was dozing off again when I thinks I hear a deep sound of... Boom! Away up the river. I rises up and rests on my elbow and listens. Pretty soon I hears it again. I hopped up and went and looked out at a hole in the leaves, and I see a bunch of smoke laying on the water a long ways up. And there was the ferry boat, full of people, floating along down. I knowed what was the matter now. Boom! I see the white smoke squirt out of the ferry boat's side. You see, they was firing a cannon over the water, trying to make my carcass come to the top. I was pretty hungry, but it weren't going to do for me to start a fire because they might see the smoke. So I sat there and watched the cannon smoke and listened to the boom. The river was a mile wide there and always looked pretty on summer mornings. So I was having a pretty good time seeing them hunt for my remainders. If I only had a bit to eat. Well, then I happened to think how they always put quicksilver in loaves of bread and float them off because they go right away to the drowned carcass and stop there. So, says I, I'll keep a lookout, and if any of them's floating around after me, I'll give them a show. I changed to the Illinois edge of the island to see what luck I could have, and I weren't disappointed. A big double loaf come along, and I most got it with a long stick, but my foot slipped and she floated out further. Of course, I was where the current set in closest to the shore. I know enough for that. But by and by comes along another one, and this time, I've won. I took out the plug and shook out the little dab of quicksilver and set my teeth in. It was baker's bread. What the quality, none of your low-down corn pone. I got a good place amongst the leaves and sat there on a log, munching the bread and watching the ferry boat, and very well satisfied. And then something struck me. I says now, I reckon the widow or Parsons or somebody prayed that this bread would find me. And here it has gone and done it. So there ain't no doubt, but there is something in that thing. That is, there's something in it when a body like the widow or Parsons prays, but it don't work for me. And I reckon it don't work for only just the right kind. I lit a pipe and had a good, long smoke and went on watching. The ferry boat was floating with the current and I allowed I'd have a chance to see who was on board when she come along, because she would come in close where the bread did. When she got pretty well along down towards me, I put out my pipe and went to where I fished the bread and laid down behind a log on the bank in a little open place. Where the log forked, I could peep through. By and by she come along, and she drifted in so close they could have run out a plank and walked ashore. Most everybody was on the boat. Pat and Judge Thatcher and Bessie Thatcher, and Joe Harper, and Tom Sawyer, and his old Aunt Polly, and Sid, and Mary, and plenty more. Everybody was talking about the murder, but the captain broke in and says, Look sharp now. The current sets in closest here, and maybe he's washed ashore and got tangled amongst the brush on the water's edge. I hope so, anyway. I didn't hope so. They all crowded up and leaned over the rails nearly in my face and kept still. "'watching with all their might. "'I could see him first-rate, but they couldn't see me. "'Then the captain sung out, "'Stand away!' "'And the cannon left off such a blast right before me, "'it made me deaf with the noise, "'and pretty near blind with the smoke, "'and I judged I was gone. "'If they'd a had some bullets in, "'I'd reckon they'd got the corpse they was after. "'Well, I see I was not hurt, thanks to goodness.' The boat floated on and went out of sight round the shoulder of the island. I could hear the booming now and then, further and further off. And by and by, after an hour, I didn't hear it no more. The island was three miles long. I judged they got to the foot and was giving it up. But they didn't yet a while. They turned around at the foot of the island and started up the channel on the Missouri side under steam and booming once in a while as they went. I crossed over to that side "'and watched them. "'When they got abreast "'the head of the island, "'they quit shooting "'and dropped over "'to the Missouri shore "'and went home to the town. "'I knowed I was all right now. "'Nobody else would come "'a-hunting after me. "'I got my traps "'out of the canoe "'and made me a nice camp "'in the thick woods. "'I made a kind of tent "'out of my blankets, "'put my things under "'so the rain wouldn't get at them. "'I catched a catfish "'and haggled him open "'with my saw. "'And toward sundown, "'I started my campfire "'and had supper.' then I set out a line to catch some fish for breakfast. When it was dark, I set my campfire smoldering and feeling pretty satisfied. But by and by, it got s- sort of lonesome. And so I went on and sat back on the bank and listened to the currents washing along and kind of the stars and drift logs and rest that come down. And then went to bed. There ain't no better way to put in time when you're lonesome. You can't stay so. You soon get over it. And so... For three days and nights. No difference. Just the same thing. But the next day, I went exploring. I ran down through the island. And I was boss of it. It all belonged to me. So to say. And I wanted to know all about it. But mainly, I wanted to put in time. I found plenty of strawberries, ripe and prime. And green summer grapes. And green raspberries and the green blackberries was just beginning to show. They would all come in handy by and by, I judged. Well, I went fooling along deep in the woods till I judged I weren't far from the foot of the island. I had my gun along, but I hadn't shot nothing. It was for protection. I thought I would kill some game nigh home. About this time, I mighty near stepped on a good-sized snake and I went sliding off through the grass and flowers. And I, after it, trying to get a shot at it, I clipped along and all of a sudden I bounded right onto the ashes of a campfire that was still smoldering. My heart jumped up amongst my lungs. I never waited for to look further, but uncocked my gun and went sneaking back on my tiptoes as fast as I could. Every now and then I stopped a second amongst the thick leaves and listened, but my breath come so hard I couldn't hear nothing else. I slunk along another piece further and listened again, and so on. And so on. If I see a stump, I took it for a man. If I trod on a stick and it broke, it made me feel like a person had cut one of my breaths in two and I only got half, and the short half, too. When I got to camp, I weren't feeling very brash. There weren't much sand in my car. But I says, this ain't no time for fooling around. So I got all my traps into the canoe again so as to have them out of sight and scattered the ashes around to look like an old last year's camp and then climbed a tree. I reckon I was up there two hours, but didn't see nothing. I didn't hear nothing. I only thought I heard and seen much of the thousand things. Well, I couldn't stay up there forever. So at last, I got down. But I kept in the thick woods and on the lookout all the time. All I could get to eat was berries and what was left over from breakfast. By the time it was night, I was pretty hungry. So when it was good and dark... I slid out from shore before moonrise and paddled over to the Illinois bank about a quarter of a mile. I went out in the woods and cooked a supper, and I had about made up my mind I would stay there all night when I hear a plunky-plunk, plunky-plunk, and says to myself, horse is coming, and next I hear people's voices. I got everything into the canoe as quick as I could and then went creeping through the woods to see what I could find out. I hadn't gone far when I hear a man say, We better camp here if we can find a good place. The horse is about beat out. Let's look around. I didn't wait, but shoved out and paddled away easy. I tied up in the old place and reckoned I would sleep in the canoe. I didn't sleep much. I couldn't, somehow, for thinking. And every time I waked up, I thought somebody had me by the neck. So sleep didn't do me no good. By and by, I says to myself, I can't live this way. I'm going to find out. Who it is that's here on the island with me? i find out or bust. Well, I felt better right off. So I took my paddle and slipped out from shore just a step or two, and then let the canoe drop down amongst the shadows. The moon was shining, and outside of the shadows, it made it almost as light as day. I poked along well onto an hour, everything still as rocks and sound asleep. Well, by this time, I was most down to the foot of the island. A little ripply cool breeze began to blow, and that was as good as saying the night was about done. I gave her a turn with the paddle and bring her nose to shore. Then I got my gun and slipped out and into the edge of the woods. I sat down there on a log, and looked out through the leaves. I see the moon go off, and watched the darkness begin to blanket the river. But in a little while I see a pale streak over the treetops, and know the day was coming. So I took my gun, and slipped off towards where I'd run across that campfire, stopping every minute or two to listen. But I hadn't no look, somehow. I couldn't seem to find the place. But by and by, sure enough, I catched a glimpse of a fire away through the trees. I went for it, cautious and slow. By and by, I was close enough to have a look, and there laid a man on the ground. It must give me the fan tots. He had a blanket round his head, and his head was nearly in the fire. I sat there, behind a clump of bushes, and about six foot of him, and kept my eyes on him, steady. It was getting grey daylight now. Pretty soon, he gapped and stretched himself, and hove off the blanket. And it was Miss Watson's Jim. I bet I was glad to see him. I says, Hello, Jim! and skipped out. He bounced up, and stared at me, wild and then drops down on his knees and puts his hands together and says, Don't hurt me, don't. I ain't never done no harm to ghosts. I always liked dead people and done all good for them. You go and get in the river again, where you belong. And don't do nothing, old Jim, and is always your friend. Well, I weren't long in making him understand I weren't dead. I was ever glad to see Jim. I weren't lonesome now. I told him I weren't afraid of him telling people where I was. I talked along, and he only sat there and looked at me. Never said nothing. Then I says, It's good daylight. Let's go breakfast. Make up your campfire good. What's the use of making up the campfire to cook strawberries in such truck? But you got a gun, ain't you? Then we can get something better than strawberries. Strawberries and such truck? I says, Is that what you live on? I couldn't get nothing else, he says. Why, how long you been on the island, Jim? I come here tonight after you was killed. What? All that time? Yes, indeed. And you ain't had nothing but that kind of rummage to eat? No, sir. Else. Well, you must be most starvin', ain't you? I reckon I could eat a horse. I think I could. How long you been on the island? Since the night I got killed. No. Why, well, what was you lived on? But you got a gun. Oh, yes, you got a gun. That's good. Now you kill something, and I'll make up the fire. So we went over to where the canoe was. And while he built a fire in the grassy open place amongst the trees, I fetched meal and bacon and coffee, and coffee pot and frying pan, and sugar and ten cups, and the near was set back considerable, because he reckoned it was all done with witchcraft. I catched a good big catfish, too, and Jim cleaned him with his knife and fried him. When breakfast was ready, we lolled on the grass and ate it smoking hot. Jim laid it in with all his might, for he was most about starved. Then, when we got pretty well stuffed, we laid off and lazied. By and by, Jim says, But looky here, Huck. Who was it that killed in that shanty if it weren't you? Then I told him the whole thing, and he says it was smart. He said Tom Sawyer couldn't get up no better plan than what I had. Then I says, How do you come to be here, Jim? And how'd you get here? He looked pretty uneasy and didn't say nothing for a minute. Then he says, Maybe I better not tell. Why, Jim? Well, there's reasons. But you wouldn't tell on me if I was to tell you, would you, Huck? Blamed if I would, Jim. Well... I believe you, Huck. Ah. Uh, I run off. Jim! But, man, you said you wouldn't tell. You know you said you wouldn't tell, Huck. Well, I did. I said I wouldn't, and I'll stick to it. Honest Jim, I will. People would call me a low-down abolitionist and despise me for keeping mum, but that don't make no difference. I ain't a going to tell. I ain't a going back there anyways. So now, Let's know all about it. Well, you see, it is this way. Old Mrs., that's Miss Watson, she pecks on me all the time and treats me pretty rough. But she always said she wouldn't sell me down to Orleans. But I noticed there was a trade around the place considerable lately, and I begin to get uneasy. Well, one night I creeps to the door, put it late, and the door will not quite shut. And I hear Old Mrs. tell the widow she gwine to sell me down to Orleans, but she didn't want to. But she could get eight hundred dollars for me, and it's sich a big sack of money she couldn't resist. The widow, she tried to get her to say she wouldn't do it, but I never waited to hear the rest. I let her out my quick, I tell you. I tuck out and shinned down the hill, Inspector to steal a skiff along the shoal, some as above town, but there was people a yet, so I hid in the old tumble-down cooper shop on the bank. To wait for everybody to go away. Well, I was there all night. There was somebody around all the time. Along about six in the morning, skiffs began to go by, and by eight or nine, every skiff that went along was talking about how your pap come over to the town and say you was killed. These last skiffs was full of ladies and gentlemen and going over to see the place. Sometimes they'd pull up at the show and take a rest before they started crossed. so by the talk, I got to know all about the killing. I was powerful sorry you was killed, hugged, but ain't no more, now. Nah. I laid there, under the shivins all day. I was hungry, but I wasn't feared, because I know old missus and the widow was going to start a camp meeting right for breakfast, and be gone all day, and they knows I go off with the cattle about daylight, so they wouldn't expect to see me around the place, so they wouldn't miss me till after dark in the evening. The other servants wouldn't miss me. In case they'd chin out and take holidays as soon as the old folks is out of the way. Well, when it come dark, I took out up the river road and went about two mile or more to where there weren't no houses. I made up my mind about what I was going to do. You see, if I keep on trying to get away afoot, the dogs would track me. If I stole a skiff to cross over, they'd miss that skiff, you see, and they'd know about where I'd land the other side and where to pick up my track. So I says a raft is what I ought to... They don't make no track. I see a lighter coming round the pint by and by, so I wade in and shove a log ahead of me, and swum more than half way across the river, and got in amongst the driftwood, and kept my head down low, and kind of swim again the current till the raft come along. Then I swum with the stem of it, and tuck a hole. It clouded up, and it was pretty dark for a little while, so I clumb up and laid down on the planks. The man is all way yonder in the middle, where the lantern was. The river was arising, and there was a good current, so I reckoned that by four in the morning, I'd be twenty-five mile down the river, and I'd slip in just before daylight and swim ashore and take to the woods on the Illinois side. But I didn't have no luck. When we was most down at the head of the island, a man began to come adrift with lantern. I see it wasn't no use for the way, so I slid overboard and struck out for the island. Well, I had a notion I could a lain most anywheres, but I couldn't. Bank to bluff. I was most of the foot of the island before I found a good place. I went into the woods, and Jake, I wouldn't fool with rest no more, as long as they moved the lantern round. so. I had my pipe, and a plug of dog leg, and some matches in my cap, and they weren't wet, so I was all right. And you ain't had no meat or bread in all this time? What, didn't you get mud turkles? How you gwine gim? Can't slip up on em grab em And how's the body going to hit him with a rock? How could a body do it in the night? And I war not going to show myself on the bank in daytime. Well, that's so. You've had to keep in the woods all the time, of course. Did shooting the cannon? Oh, yes. I know Dave's out of you. I see him go by here, wash them through the bushes. Some young birds come along, find a yard or two at a time, and lighten. Jim says it was a sign it was going to rain. He said it was a sign when young chickens flew that way, and so he reckoned it was the same way when young birds done it. I was going to catch some of them, but Jim wouldn't let me. He said it was death. He said his father lay mighty sick ones, and some of them catched a bird, and his old granny said his father would die. And he did. And Jim said you mustn't count the things you go and cook for dinner, because that would bring bad luck. The same if you shook the tablecloth after sundown. And he said for man owned a beehive and that man died, the bees must be told about it before sunup next morning, or else the bees would all weaken down and quit work and die. Jim said bees wouldn't sting idiots, but I didn't believe that, because I'd tried them lots of times myself, and they wouldn't sting me. I had heard about some of these things before, but not all of them. Jim knowed all kinds of signs. He said he knowed most everything. I said it looked to me like all the signs was about bad luck, and so I asked him if there weren't any good luck signs. He says, might a few, and they ain't no use to a body. What you want to know when good luck's coming for? Want to keep it off? And he said, if you got hairy arms and hairy breasts, that's a sign that you go and be rich. Well, there's some use in signs like that, in case it's so far ahead. You see, maybe you got to be poor for a long time first, and so you might get discouraged and kill yourself if you didn't know by the sign that you go and be rich by and by. Have you got hairy arms and a hairy breast, Jim? What's the use to ask that question? Don't you see I has? Well, are you rich? No, but I've been rich once, and I gwine be rich again. Once I had $14, but I took to speculating and got busted out. what you speculate in, Jim? Well, first I tackled stock. What kind of stock? Why, livestock. Cattle, you know. I put $10 in a cow. But I ain't going to risk no more money in stock. The cow up and died on my hands. So you lost the ten dollars? No, I didn't lose it all. I only lost about nine. I sold the and taller for a dollar and ten cents. You had five dollars and ten cents left. Did you speculate any more? Yes. You know that one leg that belongs to old Mr. O'Brandish? Well, he sought up a bank. And he says that anybody that put a dollar in would get four dollars more at the end of the year. Well, all the went in, but they didn't have much. I was the only one to add much, so I stuck out for more than four dollars. And I said if I didn't get it, I'd start a bank myself. Well, cost that want to keep me out of the business because he says they weren't business enough for two banks. So he says I could put my five dollars in and he'd pay me thirty-five at the end of the year. So I done it. Then I reckon I'd invest thirty five dollars right off and keep things moving. There was a named Bob that cashed a flatwood, and his masters didn't know it. So I bought it off him, and told him to take thirty-five dollars when the end of the year come. But somebody stole the wood flat that night, and the next day the one leg said the back is bust, so it didn't none of us get no money. What'd you do with the ten cents, Jim? Well, I was gonna spend it, but I had a dream, and the dream told me to give it to named Balaam. Bollum. Balaam's ass, they call him for short. He's, a uh, one of them chuckleheads, you know. He's lucky, I say. And I see I weren't lucky. The dream say, let Balaam invest ten cents and he make a raise for me. Well, Balaam, he took the money. And when he was in church, he heard the preacher say that whoever gives to the Poland to the Lord and bound to get his money back a hundred times. So Balaam, he took and gave the ten cents to the Pole and laid low to see what was going to come of it. Well, what did come of it, Jim? Well, nothing come of it. Couldn't manage to collect that money, no way. borrow he couldn't. I ain't gwine to lend no more money. Dad I see the security. Band to get your money back a hundred times, the preacher says. If I could get them ten cents back, I'd call it square, and be glad at the chance. Well, it's all right anyway, Jim. As long as you're going to be rich again, sometime or another. Yes, and I'm rich now. Come look at it. I owns myself, and I'm worth $800. I wish I had the money. I wouldn't want no more. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please like, comment, share, all that jazz. And if you really enjoyed, do subscribe because there's more to come. And if you're listening on podcast, please leave a review. It is the easiest way to help get this in front of as many people as possible, which would be fantastic. I'm just going to post pictures of the pages just to guarantee that no one thinks I'm trying to be um, offensive at all. Um, The character is... The the book is written in dialect and the book is written in a way that characters sound a certain way when you read the words... um, I'm not trying to do any accent. I'm not trying to be offensive in any way. I'm just trying to read the book as authentically as possible. Um, Yeah, if you have a problem with that, I don't know what to say. Um, I knew it was going to be a controversial book and there was probably going to be some controversial decisions made in the recording process. And I hope that you stand by me in it. Um, Yeah. Once again, thank you very much for listening.